All right, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to two places, please. Exodus chapter 18 and verse number 20. Exodus 18, verse 20. And then in your right hand, if you would, please get John chapter 3 and verse number 7 is where we'll begin there. Exodus 18, verse 20. And John chapter 3 in your right hand. And we're going to use Exodus 18 and 20 as kind of a jumping off spot. I'd just like to read the text and take one thought from it. We're not going to deal with its context today. In Exodus 18 and verse 20, the Bible says, And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. There's two, two thoughts in there. You must walk, you must do. It shares one common thing, you have to do it. You have to do it. I want to preach today a sermon called, You Have To. You have to. So let's pray about that just for a moment, ask for God's help, and then we'll continue on. Father, please, we come to you now in Christ's name because we, Lord, we're not worthy of your help, your attention, your mercies, your truth, but because of what Christ did for us, Lord, we can actually approach you now. We can actually have this relationship. And we desire, Lord, to learn more from you today. Please speak to our hearts, Lord, where it, where it needs it. Cut our hearts. Father, would you please do a work today that a man can't do. Remove me, get me out of the way, and let the Spirit of God uh, move through this place today and touch our hearts and let us leave better than how we came. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but... I think all of us are like this to some extent, but me, I, when somebody says, you have to, something in me says, no, I don't, right? There's just something about that. When they say you have to, I am dead set, I'm going to prove you wrong. No, I don't. No, I don't. This week, uh, my son-in-law graduated from the puck, and we were up there at the graduation. I, I couldn't go in. He only had so many passes, so many tickets to get in. So I was there with the grandbaby and me and Christina. We were waiting out in the foyer area and a man came up and said, Sir, I'm sorry, you can't be out here in this lobby area. You have to go outside. I thought, ooh. I said, Sir, I'll give you 50 rand if you can give me one good reason I have to go outside. <laughs> now there's no, there, I, I was completely in the wrong he is completely in the right to ask me to go outside, except he didn't ask. He said, you have to. And there was something about my Adamic natural nature that my flesh just, something in me rose up and said, how dare you say I have to? Don't you hate it when the traffic cop stands out in the middle of the road and does one of these things? You know, you know what he's saying? You have to stop. You have to. Ah, be honest. Doesn't your foot get a little heavy right about then? <laughs> oh, okay, I'll stop, I'll stop. <laughs> There's something about somebody saying, you have to. Man, I don't like that. It's, I think, like I said, it's just part of our the carnal nature that we receive, we inherited from Adam and Eve. We don't like being told we must do something. Now, if I can be perfectly honest with you, there's very few things in life that you have to do. And, and, and let, me, let me explain what I mean by that. There's always a choice, okay? It depends on what you seek to get out of a certain situation that will determine what you have to do. 
And let me explain a little further what I mean. People say there's only two things for sure in life, death and taxes. Oh, nonsense. <laughs> a lot of people skip the taxes. I, I, I'm, I'm just waiting for the conviction to set in a little bit, and, and we have one guy that just admitted it. So. <laughs> if you're saved, you might even skip out on death. Amen? The Bible says we shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. Jesus might show up this morning and take us home to heaven. We which are alive and remain, we can go up to heaven without dying. Jesus even said as much in John chapter 11 that some people would not die. So you can cheat death and taxes. So what is it about life that we have to do? Well, you say you have to breathe. Well, amen. You have to eat. You have to sleep. Yes, if you want to continue living. You do have a choice, though. I mean, you can die. <laughs> I, I'm not encouraging that choice. I'm just saying that you don't have to eat. You can skip it. Some of you might want to consider that just a little bit. You, you could skip oxygen, but I think you need it, right? You need oxygen. You need food. You have to have those things if you want to exist, Fair enough, but I don't think any of you would be satisfied with just existing, right? Although some of you might feel like that in your life, you're just existing. Most people seek to have at least some comfort in this life, so they don't want to just eat and drink. They want to eat, drink, and be merry. Do you realize that is the description of the vast majority of people in this world today? That's what they seek out of life. They seek no greater accomplishment than to simply be comfortable in this life. That is what the Apostle Paul would describe as the natural man's life. That's the worldly version of life. Eat, drink so you can exist, but then be merry. Add a few things to life so that you can at least enjoy it. So you might say, if this is the version of life that you're aiming to have, I need, I must have biltong. Now, yeah, I'm getting a few nods. The ooms, I see. I must have. No, you don't have to have biltong. I'm, I'm just judging what kind of reaction I get from that. Some of you are standing in doubt of this, but you know you can't exist without it. There is more to life than meat. Amen. Jesus said so. Boy, I'm getting nothing out of that. I need Zintle here. Zintle is my amen guy, right? I, 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 ho I hope you guys can fill in for Zintle since he's a, out of town today. You guys help me with a few amens here and there. But you can go, go without Biltong. You may not enjoy life anymore, but you will still exist. Amen. You can go without makeup. very interesting what kind of response we get from that. I see the men getting very scared. Oh dear. <laughs> don't go there, my. Don't go there. You, you can. You can. Now society may not appreciate that, but you can. You can. You can go without makeup, but you may not enjoy life as much. And I'm not preaching against makeup. I'm not preaching against biltong. You can go without cricket. Yes, amen. You can. You can. This world will still continue to spin if cricket were to never have existed. Probably spin a lot better, but anyway. <laughs> you see, but, but now, you might like biltong and you want to wear your makeup, that's fine. Cricket, whatever you want to do to add a little spice to your life, help yourself. If it's not sinful, please feel free. Those things aren't sinful. They're not bad. You can add that in, but bear in mind, there's nothing spiritual about those things. That's just natural life. 
That's things that anybody saved or lost would enjoy. What do you want out of life? Do you want to just exist? Do you want to have what the world calls the good life? Eat, drink, and be merry, and then tomorrow you die? What do you seek out of life? In the Bible, you read this in Ephesians 4. It talks about the life of God. And that is a life not that God has, but the life that he's given to you, the life of God. It says those who are not saved, they are alienated from the life of God. They have, they have no idea what it means to enjoy the life that God has to offer. This is not the good life. This is the godly life. And if you want to have that life, a life spent walking with the Spirit of God, then there are certain requirements, there are certain things that you must do. You have to do it if you desire this type of life. Let me show you what those things are. You'll find them lined out here in the book of John. So look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We're just going to look at four different things that you have to do. But when I say have to, that is if you want this spiritual life that every Christian should be aiming for. In John chapter 3, the first thing we find is a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He comes to Jesus by night. He's very polite. He's, he's very complimentary of Jesus. And Jesus in verse 3 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus asks a follow-up question to that. Jesus answers it. And come down to verse number 7. Jesus said, Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. There is no way around this. If you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter into that kingdom, Jesus said, Don't be surprised. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be be born again. He is not saying this to a horribly wicked man. He's saying this to a religious leader in that society. Folks, it's not up to us to make our own plan for how we get to heaven. When you get to the judgment and you say, God, I thought this is what you required. I thought this would be enough. The Bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It may seem right to you, but does it match up with what God requires for somebody to enter into the kingdom of God? He said, you must be born again. Can I ask you a question this morning? And I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you hold a position in that church. I'm asking, have you been born again? Did you know that I, I, I found this quite odd when I moved to South Africa I begin to ask people this question, have you been born again? And they say, I don't go to that church. <laughs> I thought, what? I thought it was a language thing. I did. I, I, thought, I thought, well, let me try in Africa. I said, what? What am I missing here? And then come to find out, after I got that response four or five times, people... People actually think that there is a church in South Africa called the Born Again Church. There, there, that, that's not a church. That's not a denomination. That is a biblical requirement. That is a, a God requirement. If you want to enter into his kingdom, you must be born again. That's not some denominational strange teaching. That's exactly what Jesus said about it. Have you been born again? The Apostle Peter put it like this in Acts 4. He met with the 
all of the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders in Acts 4, they commanded Peter not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And he came out, he preached a a lecker message to them, and at the end of it he said, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said we must be saved. Friend, I'm all for going to church, and if you want to be an Oderlinga or a Diakon, if you want to be an elder or a deacon, help yourself, but that's not how you get to heaven when you die. That's not how you have a relationship with God. I met a man just two weeks ago, and I asked him if, how he knew he was going to heaven, and he said, well, a few years back, the church I was in asked me to be a deacon, and right then it hit me just how important it was to know God. Somebody put the cart in front of the horse there. <laughs> They made him a deacon, and this man hadn't even met Christ personally. Now, I found that to be a very scary truth, that there are a lot of people that go to church consistently, but have yet to meet the Lord personally. Jesus said, you must, you must be born again. Say, I don't want to be born again. That's not the way I was raised. That's not how we do it in our church. That's not how we do it in our family. You do have a choice, right? Just, just as you can shut your mouth and never breathe again, you can die if you want. You, you don't have to enter the kingdom of God. There is another option, but I certainly wouldn't encourage that you take that option. You do have to make the choice, but if you want to end up in the right place, if you want to enter into that kingdom, you must be born again. Say, Brother Mike, why do you keep report, uh, repeating that? Because you must be born again. <laughs> Brother Donovan, whom many of you heard preach uh, a few months ago when he visited us that's what happened with him he he kept hearing somebody say you must be born again you must be born again and he'd lay down at night and it would just ring through his mind you must be born again you must be born again and one day it clicked I'm not born again so I'm trying to get that stuck in the back of your mind so that when you lay down put your head on the pillow tonight if you're not saved if you've never met the Lord Jesus Christ personally you'll remember you must be born again it's not enough that you came to church this morning it's not enough that you were raised in a Christian home it's not a, it's not enough that you've read the Bible you must accept Jesus Christ because he died in your place on that cross and he, his payment is the only thing that can cover your sins. You have to take your faith out of what you're doing and put your faith in what he did. You see, folks, when somebody's born, they receive life. They did nothing to get that life. Life was given to them. When you're born again, much the same happens. God is offering you life. Jesus laid down his life for you. And now accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, what you're doing is accepting life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, there is no other way. There might be ways that seem right unto men, but those are the ways of death. There's only one way to have life, and that to have eternal life. You have to accept me. You must be born again. How do I do that? Jesus is life. You receive him, you've received new life. You must be born again. Say, Brother Mike, I've been going to church all these years. I've never heard this. You know, that's exactly what Nicodemus said. Look at verse number 10. Or verse number 9, I'm sorry. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? (laughs) He said, Man, I grew up in the synagogue. I, I, went, I went to Bible school. I learned my Old Testament. 
He said, how can this be? What are you talking about, born again? I've never heard of that. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? He said, you're a big shot in your church and you've never heard this before? You must be born again. Now there's a second thing in this same chapter, John 3 and verse number 30. John 3, verse 30. Here's the second thing. If you want to have that life that God offers, that spiritual life, first off, you must be born again. Number two, here's another thing you must do. You must do it. John 3, 30. He must increase. Now, John the Baptist is speaking, and he's talking about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. Once you've been born again, if you want to continue on in that spiritual life, here's the next thing that needs to happen. First, and let's get the order right. Let's get the order right. He doesn't, John didn't say, first I must decrease and then Jesus will increase. That's not it. First, he must increase and then John just fades away. We sing in one of our songs, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You'll become a lot less interested with you when you get interested in him. See, a lot of people, they try to decrease. They want to humble themselves and just kind of fade away, but you're leaving a void when you do that. First, we have to shine the light. We have to magnify the Lord and put all the attention on him. And once that happens, even though you might be standing there, no one will see you. There's a big push I've found in the body of Christ these days to everyone to find their identity. You guys heard that? I, I, I've never read that in the Bible, but I hear it from churches all the time. People come and say, you know, I, I heard this at a cell group meeting or whatever it was. We, we had a lesson on how to find our identity. Well, they, take out your wallet. <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard, right? If you're not sure who you are, <laughs> you just ask your mom and dad. I'm, somebody can help you with that, Right? I've never understood that, find your identity. People say, I want to find my identity in Christ. Why? How about you just find Christ? How about you just focus on Him and, and, and let Him be everything? Let Him be your all in all. You don't need to be in the picture at all. He, John the Baptist said, He must increase. You know, John, if ever a man deserved to have some spotlight, it would have been John. Even Jesus said, of all men that are born of women, John's the greatest. That's quite a compliment. We got Moses, we got Joshua, we got David, we got Daniel. We got some great men in the Old Testament. John the Baptist shows up and Jesus says, he's the best one of all of you. None greater than him. And you know what the greatest, man, the greatest naturally born man that's ever been, you know what he said? Don't look at me, just look at him. When they came to John, in, in, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, there's some Pharisees that came to John the Baptist. And they said, who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are, are you Elijah? Are you that prophet? You know what John said? No. He said, who are you? He said, I'm just the voice crying in the wilderness. Never even gave his name. Man, if that would have been one of today's preachers, he would have pulled out a poster and hung it on a tree and said, here I am. <laughs> I'm Reverend Dr. Apostle so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. <laughs> Not John the Baptist. He just bit the head of a locust, spit it out. I'm just a voice. <laughs> you know what he said later in John chapter 1? <clears throat> the Bible says that Jesus walked by. And as he did, John began to cry out and said, Behold. You know what behold means? Cake here so. Look at this. 
Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You know what John's life was all about? Let me bring attention to Jesus Christ. I don't want you to see me. I want you to see him. He must increase, but I must decrease. Behold the Lamb of God. You know what happened the next day? Jesus walked by again. You know what John did? Behold the Lamb of God. He went right into it again. I kind of think that's what, that's what John's life was all about. John had a pretty good-sized following. Look in chapter 3, verse number 25. It says here, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, that's Jesus, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. You see, there were some men in, in the community that were getting a little jealous on John's behalf. They said, John, you got a pretty good following, and now this other guy, you bear witness to him, now he's, got a, he's taking some of your disciples. They're not following you anymore. They're not going to your church. They're going to his. They thought this would be a problem for John. Verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Now he says that the reason I, he's talking about why he bear witness to Jesus. I know he's the Lamb of God, not because I'm smart and I figured it out, but God revealed it to me. Verse 28, ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Verse 29, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. You know what John says? I'm not the focal point of the wedding. There's Jesus. He's the groom. There's the church. That's the bride. John said, I'm just the friend standing over by the side. He's maybe the best man. <laughs> he said, I'm just the best man. When you go to the wedding... Right? Everybody should be focused on the man and the woman getting married. That's the focal point, yes? So we're not looking at the best man and the, and the, the, the maids of honor and all of that. We're looking, we're looking at the focal point there. John said, I am happy not to be the focal point. I want everybody to see Jesus. And then his closing statement, he must increase, but I must decrease. He says, I'm happy to just fade into the sunset. I'm, I'm happy that all attention is shifting to him. How about you? Is that true in your life? How many times in your life have you shined the spotlight so brightly on Jesus that when somebody meets you, all they can think about is Jesus? They walk away and all they know is something more about Jesus, but they don't know anything more about you. I wonder, I wonder if we could test life in this way. What do you consider a successful life? That's where I started the sermon, right? What do you want out of life? What, how do you measure a successful life? Is it possessions you have? Is it the clothing you wear? Is it the money in your bank account? Is it your popularity and how many people in Pachastrum think you're a hot shot? Is that what you think you have to be in life? What if we measured it by this? The success, success of your life is equivalent to how much you magnify the Lord. That's what David said. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation continually say, the Lord be magnified. Continually, the Lord be magnified. Put the magnifying glass on him. Look at every little detail, and then I'll just decrease. I wonder if we measured your life, what would we come up with? I believe this is a New Testament principle. Paul said it like this, for to me, 
to live is Christ. He said, that's how I can define my life. That's how I quantify it. That's how I qualify it. It is Christ. He must increase. You must decrease. Let me show you something else that you have to do. If you want this proper life with God, look at John 4. John 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, they, they were the ones in the water doing the work. Verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So he's going from the south up to the north in Israel. Verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to go a little deep on this. All this verse is saying is that on his way from the south to the north, he had to cut through the middle section of Israel, which was known as Samaria. That's, that's all this verse is saying. I'm going to use this a, a bit as an allegory. You understand? Like a parable. A Jew in this time did not like Samaritans. You, you can get that just from reading John chapter 4. They were not friendly. So for a Jew to walk through Samaritan land, that's not comfortable, that's not convenient, it's not the Disney Lekarni. He doesn't, he'd rather go around, and most Jews did. They'd walk the long way just to skip going through Samaria. It was the hillbrow. <laughs> we don't want to go there. Hey, man, you just be honest. It's scary there. <laughs> I'm scared of that place. <laughs> I don't want to go there. It's, it's, uh, w w let's use something closer to home. It's Vondalon. I, <laughs> after 9 p.m., I don't want to be there. <laughs> right? You go around that place. But the Bible says, it, and the way it's worded is so interesting, he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus, even though it wasn't convenient, him being a Jew, that's his natural side. He's a Jew. It may not be convenient. It may not be something that he would like to do, but he had to do it. He had to get to Galilee, and he had to do it at a certain time, so he had to. He must needs go through Samaria to get this done. So here's the point I want to make. If you're going to have this spiritual life where you walk in the Spirit consistently, you're going to have to do some things you don't want to do. You must go through some of your own Samarias. You're going to be faced with some things where it's not convenient and it's not comfortable, and you have to do it anyway. You may not feel like reading your Bible, but you're just going to have to tell your flesh to shut up and knock it off. I'm going to read. Amen. I don't feel like praying. My back hurt. My knees hurt. But I'm going to, then I'll walk around and pray. But I'm going to pray. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to try to find a way around it. I have to go through it. I must needs go through Samaria. I cannot be the convenient, comfortable Christian that I've always been. I've got to let that sink in because, my goodness, if there's anything that the devil is doing to destroy Christianity today, he's making it comfortable. He's convincing you that because it's not convenient, you don't have to. That's the reason a lot of you won't be back tonight. That's the reason a lot of you don't pitch up in a midweek service at Bible school. You could move things around in your schedule. You could pitch in and do more. You could pitch up for some of the ministries. that. Oh, you could. Amen. You can stare at me and give me mean looks all you want. I can give you mean looks too. Amen. If the shoe fits, some of you just 
constantly are trying to dodge the issue. How about this? Ask the Lord, do you want me to go through this Samaria? I don't feel like it. It's not convenient for me. I'd rather not, but Lord, if this is something I have to do. You know why Jesus needed to go through Samaria? There was one Samaritan woman waiting on a well that needed some help. And as you do those things that you may not feel like doing, you don't, see, you don't look at them as burdens. You look at them as opportunities to grow and to help someone else. And Jesus used this opportunity. He got to the town of Samaria. He goes to the well and he says to the woman, woman, give me a drink of water. He's thirsty. It's 12 o'clock noon. It's hot. Pachas threw him hot. You know what the woman does? She strikes up a conversation and says, oh, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why should I help you? She gives him a nasty response. He starts to deal with her about, her, about spiritual things. The conversation continues. Did you know Jesus never did get that drink of water? <laughs> the conversation started, please, I'm thirsty. It's very hot. I just would like a drink. He never got the drink. It never was convenient for him, but that woman got a whole bunch of God. Her life changed. Why? Because he was willing to go through things that may not have been convenient or comfortable. The Apostle Paul, after starting several churches in Asia Minor, he said this, the Bible tells us, he, he went back to those churches he started, and it says he confirmed the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, now listen to this part, listen, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. He says, guys, as we're pressing on towards eternal life, as, as, as we're pressing on towards heaven, you're going to go through some stuff. You're not going to make it there. You cannot live the Christian life without going through some troubles. Now, the Samarias of life, those are just inconveniences, things you'd rather not do. What Paul said in the book of Acts, those tribulations, those are persecutions you get because you're living for Christ. You know what he said? You must, you must have these things as you enter into the kingdom of God. Now listen, if you want to be saved, you receive Jesus Christ. But if you want to live a godly life, Paul said, all that live godly, <clears throat> sorry, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul said, we must. So let me ask you a question this morning, have you? You know what he's saying. You know what Jesus is saying. You must. You have to. So have you? Have you suffered for Christ? I'm, I'm not asking you to be a martyr. I'm not asking you to go do something silly so that you get hurt. I'm asking you to take a biblical stand for Christ. Even though some of your friends may laugh at you, some of the friends that you've had for 30, 40 years may not understand why you're doing that. Sir, ma'am, quit putting it off. You have to. Say, I don't want to. Well, okay, well, then you can just settle for the eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow you'll die. You can have that life. But if you're seeking the life that God wants you to have, that abundant life with all of that joy and comfort walking with him, that, that one, then you must. Then you have to go through some Samarias. No way around it. One last thing in John 4 again. John 4, verse 24. Jesus is talking to that Samaritan woman. And he says in verse number 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
Now, they're having a conversation about the right way to worship God. And she, in other words, says, I have my own religion. We Samaritans, we go to this mountain. We pray this way. We have our own way of doing it. Look at verse 22. Look at Jesus' response to her. You worship, you know not what. (laughs) How's that for blunt? (laughs) Lady, you have no clue what you're doing. That's how we would say it. You have no clue what you're doing. You say, but, you know, we, we should all be free to just choose whatever way we want to worship God. And, and Jesus says, no, you don't get to make that up. There's a certain way that God wants to be worshipped. There's a certain worship that he demands. You have to do it this way if you're going to call it worshipping God. You can't say, but I have my own way and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Not good enough. He said, you worship, you know not what. Salvation is of the Jews. Verse 23, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then this part of the verse, I hope it sinks deep into your heart. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. That, that, that part of that verse, that grabs my attention every time I read it. The Father is seeking this. He is looking for this. I wonder if you'll find it in our church this morning. I wonder if there's anyone that has ears to hear, that can hear Jesus knocking at the door saying, he's outside saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. But listen, you gotta hear his voice. You know what, you know what I, I fear is there are a whole lot of churches that have gathered today. Jesus is outside knocking at the door, but the, 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 there's too much racket being made, too much noise going on in the house of God. They can't hear him knocking. They're busy doing what they call worship. Jesus said, here's what we demand. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So he said, there's a right way to do it. What is that right way? Well, to say in spirit and in truth, you could sum that up to say it needs to be sincere or genuine. But then I I think that leaves a little more explaining because when you say sincere, then a person might think, well, then all you have to do is really mean it. But there's more to worshiping God than I just really mean it. When he says in spirit and in truth, it needs to be sincere, but it also needs to be scriptural. How many of you remember these two names from the Old Testament? Sorry, Nadab and Abihu. You guys read about Nadab and Abihu? You know, you you read about them in Leviticus. That's where most people know them from. Nadab and Abihu, they're the ones that brought censers and put fire and incense in it. And then the Bible says it was a strange fire. And God, God sent another fire and took them out. Because of this strange fire they were offering. But do you know where the first time we read about Nadab and Abihu? It's in Exodus chapter 24. I don't know if that chapter stands out to you, but that's the chapter where God called out to Moses from Mount Sinai and said, Moses, come on up to the top here. You and I are going to talk one-on-one. See, before this, Moses had been down at the foot of the mount along with the rest of the Israelites. But in Exodus 24, he said, come on up here. Did you know who came with him? Nadab and Abihu and Aaron. Nadab and Abihu were Aaron's sons. These were religious men. They were set to be priests. They were going to be religious leaders in the nation. God called those men up and then he said, okay, stop right there halfway up the mountain. That's good enough. Moses, you come all the way up. These other men are gonna just wait here 
a little lower on the mountain, but th these men, because they're leaders, I want them a little close to the action. You know what? I, I kind of have it in my head that Nadab and Abihu, because God had allowed them to get a little bit close, they figured, well, look at God's allowed us to come this far. We, we can pretty much just do what we want from here and God will accept it. You know, I've been coming to church all my life. I've, I was raised in a Christian home. I'm pretty sure any, anything that I offer up to God, I'm pretty sure he'll take it. That was the attitude that they had. They saw the fire of God fall upon the altar and consume a sacrifice. And the next thing you know, Nadab and Abihu come with their censer, their fire, their incense. And whew, the fire come down from, comes, comes from God and burns them up. Why? God says, that's not the sacrifice I commanded you to give. You're trying to do it your way, and I've already laid out how it should be done. Folks, can I ask you a question? I don't doubt that many of you come with good intentions, but are your intentions scriptural? Are you worshiping God the way he told you to do it, or are you doing it the way culture tells you to do it? Let me ask you again. Are you doing it the way that the Bible says or the way that your ancestors say? Amen. Listen, that, that's, I, I hurt my back earlier this week and the doctor told me to walk a little bit while I preach, so I'm going to obey him now. Uh, you see, it's not just a, a white thing or a black thing. You say the word ancestors and people, you know, think, oh, that's black people. White people worship their ancestors too. Oh, oh, you do, you do. Because, well, this is how Opa and Oma worshiped God and this is the church that they were from, so I'm going to stick with it, even though you know that you're not getting fed in that church even though you know there's not much Bible going out there. But I'm going to stick with it and keep going there. Why? It's more of a political move than anything. So that you look good in the eyes of society, so that you have the praise of men, but you're not worried about the praise that comes from God. Jesus said, if you're going to worship God, you've got to do it in spirit and in truth. And Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You want to worship God, listen, I, there's lots of right ways to do it, but it needs to be according to the Bible. I think we could ask David about this. Don't you remember what David did? He wanted to bring the ark of God home, so he put it on an ox cart. Did you know that an ox cart will transport the ark of God just as good as staves? Because the, the way that God commanded was you have to carry it on staves on the priest's shoulders, Right? Did you know an ox cart will work just as good and, and probably make it easier for the priest? That, that ark has got to get heavy. Wouldn't it be easier to put it on an ox cart, let the ox do all the work? Do you know who the ox is in the Bible? It's, it's this guy. Better to just put it on the ox cart. Just let the pastor do it. And he said, no, 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 the, the priests have got to carry it. Everybody's got to get involved, and, and somebody's got to carry this. And listen, it might be a Samaria, and it may be a little less convenient, but that's the way God wanted it done. But David said, let's put it on an ox cart. He knew better. He had access to a Bible, but he ignored it. He went with convenience instead of, instead of conviction. So the ox stumbled, because sometimes an ox does that. When the ox stumbled, Uzzah put out his hand. Not Uzi, not the name of the shirt, but the Uzzah. Uzzah put out his hand and he, when he touched the ark, he's trying to help. Just like a lot of people that call themselves Christians these days claim that they're just trying to help. Good intentions don't cut it. As soon as he touched the ark, zap. And Uzzah falls over dead, slain in the spirit. 
He hits the ground and David, for, for several months, David was angry. He said, why God? We were just trying to do something good. We were trying to bring the ark home and then I don't know what happened, but somebody, I don't know if David read it himself or somebody reminded him. You can read in 2 Chronicles where David said, you know what happened? We didn't do it according to the scripture. It's written in the law that the Levites have to carry it and we put it on an ox cart. We were doing it the Philistine way instead of God's way. We were trying to do it in a way that the world would approve of instead of the way God approves. And God said, if you're going to worship me, you've got to do it in spirit and in truth. I want the kind of worship that I desire, not the kind you desire. I'd like to finish just by reminding you of something that A.W. Tozer said. I don't know if you know that name, but those of you, several people ask, you know, about good books to read. I would highly recommend reading A.W. Tozer. He wrote this in the 1950s and 60s. He wrote a book called Worship, The Reason We Were Created. One of the most powerful books I've ever read outside of the Bible about worshiping God. He had this to say about the sad condition of the church, and this is 1950s. He said, much of the blame must be placed on the growing acceptance of a worldly secularism that needs much more appealing in our church circles than any hungering or thirsting for the spiritual life that pleases God. We seek the, the secular instead of the spiritual. He says, we secularize God, we secularize the gospel of Christ, and we secularize worship. That's 1950. If Brother Tozer showed up in 2019 and took a look at it, man, you call him a prophet, not just a preacher. He went on to say, in too many of our churches, you can detect the attitude that anything goes. Amen, Brother Tozer, you're right about that. You said the truth there. Some mistake the music of religion as true worship because music elevates the mind. Listen to this part. Music raises the heart to near rapture. Music can lift our feelings to ecstasy. Music has a purifying, purging effect upon us, so it's possible to fall into a happy and elevated state of mind with a vague notion about God and imagine we're worshiping God when we're doing nothing of the sort. We are simply enjoying. You like the tune, and because the name Jesus showed up in the song, you thought it was a worship song. That's, guys, there's so much more to worshiping than just a few good songs. Oh, if we could ever wrap our heads around this wonderful thought that when you come to church, the whole thing is a worship service. We, we, we have secularized it to where we have praise and worship and then we have a little sermonette where people give you a few definitions of Greek words and then send you home. Yeah, amen. Instead of preaching, saying, you have to. That's where it ends. The whole thing is worship. Guys, when you step out today, when you step out of the building, when you go to work tomorrow and the next day and the next day, the whole thing's supposed to be worship. Because when you do something, oh, listen to this, when you do something out of a heart that loves God completely, altogether given to him, you're going to do that thing, whatever that thing is, you're going to do it God's way. I'm going to work my job and I'm going to do it with all my heart as unto the Lord and not unto men. I'm going to love my wife so much because Christ loved the church that way and he commanded me to be a better husband than I am. I'm going to be the best dad I can be because God commanded me to do it and 
This is how I can show God how important he is to me. Every aspect of my life, my hands, my feet, my mind, my mouth, it's all God's. So the whole thing becomes an act of worship. That is the true worship that God is seeking. Brother Tozer, he gave us one more very good thought. But you say, what's that got to do with worship? Talking about living every aspect of life for God. Why, he says, you worship God by where you go and what you do, not only by what you sing and by what you pray. Worship is more than prayer. Worship contains prayer. Worship is more than singing, although worship contains singing, but worship is also living. And in our Bible, we find worship not only to be singing, but doing and living and walking and working and going and serving so that we can worship God with our feet going the right way, with our hands doing the right things. That's worship. You know, one day we're going to figure out this worship thing. I, I know we will. Have you guys read the book of Revelation? I, I always get a bunch of nods on that. We skip Matthew. We, we, skip, we skip Exodus. We just go to Revelation. Have you read Revelation 5? Oh, we're going to figure out how to worship. Because we won't have any earthly distraction. We won't be worried about the fear of man anymore. You won't be afraid of what the person next to you thinks. You'll be there before the throne of God, Revelation 5, with the four beasts, the 24 elders casting their crowns before the throne, and all of heaven's host, all the angels, 10,000 times 10,000, with all the saints of God, all in one thunderous voice saying, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, and, the, and all, of, all of heaven begins to sing and praise the Lamb. You won't be as stiff as you are now, I promise you that. You might even squeak amen then. Some of you just need to get used to it, right? Some of you need to get warmed up. You're going to get to heaven. You're going to feel so out of place. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, the angel Gabriel is going to walk over to you and say, <clears throat> you have to say amen. <laughs> you're going to say, Africana. He said, I don't care. You have, you're in heaven now. You have to. <laughs> I realize that there's more to worshiping God than just saying amen and hallelujah, but, but I know this, when I read the book of Revelation, when we're up in heaven, you read Revelation 19, you know what we do? We cry out four different times, hallelujah, 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 and then we cry out amen a few times, and we just worship God. We just adore him. Why? Because we have to. That's the life that we end up with. You might as well get started now. Four things you have to do. You must be born again. He must increase. You must decrease. You must needs go through Samaria. Quit trying to avoid it. And the Bible says you must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's all stand if you would please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you take a moment, please, to think on these things? I can't make you, right? I'd like to say you have to, but I think that would only make you not want to do it. Would you please take a moment to think on this?
He said, Brother Mike, I, you preached a little long and I'm running late now. I, I have to go. It's amazing what we have to do. I can't stick around and let the Spirit of God work on my heart. I, I have to go. No, you don't. It all depends on what you seek. Breathe. Be still. Open up your heart and say, God, tell me what I have to do. What must I do? What must I do? In the book of Ezra, we read where Ezra preached to those people. He told them all the stuff they were doing wrong and the whole crowd cried out with a loud voice and said, As thou hast said, so must we do. That's a good response. How about you? Have you been saved, sir, ma'am? Have you been born again? How are you doing, friend, with this decreasing thing? Is there more of Jesus now in your life than there was before? Do we see him more or less? Are you a Christian all about comfort and convenience? Or will you do it because it's right to do, not because it's easy? Would you like to be a true worshiper this morning? Put aside the fear of God, or fear of man rather, and just concern yourself with what God thinks. You have to. Father, I pray that you please let the words that were preached today sink deep. Sink deep, Lord. Please water the seed now, God, as, as the people go their various ways, doing things that they have to do. Might they make the things of God a priority? Lord, help all of us to be more diligent when it comes to worshiping you. We want to do it the right way, Lord. We want to be obedient. We want it to be pleasing to you. Father, please tell us what to do. And Father, one last thing. If there's anybody here and they have never been saved, God, I don't care how old, I don't care what church they've been going to, or how long they've been in this church, doesn't matter, God. Please, might they come to know you today personally. Please, God, open their eyes. Show them what they need to see. Please let them get saved today. Thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts. And we look forward to the day when we can bow down in your presence and worship you and Lord, we'll have it right then. We'll do it completely the way you want. We look forward to that day. But until then, Lord, help us while we're here. 
to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for all this and ask you for help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.